Stephen Mendenhall was raised in Boise, Idaho. He served a mission to Seoul, Korea. He earned a bachelor's degree in film production and visual effects from Brooks Institute of Photography. For 20 years, he has worked in the film industry and has been employed at BYU-Idaho since 2015. Stephen and his wife, Alina, are married, were married in 2008. They have four children, Braylon, Carter, Emery, and Ivy. Stephen's hobbies are playing the guitar and snowboarding. I am blessed at the chance to speak to you today here in the Ice Center, where I happen to also work. Uh, just beyond these walls to my left, there are videographers, sound designers, lighting technicians, teleprompters, engineers, and many others who dedicate their time and talents to this event. I feel blessed to work with them. Today I would like to speak to you about a unique experience I had in my profession. Among the things that I do for work, one of them is an art called compositing. Compositing is the process of combining multiple images to conform a single cohesive image. In today's visual effects intensive films, you have no doubt seen this in use, and most likely, you're even familiar with some of the, special the specific techniques, such as the use of green screen or Photoshop. I'm currently working on a personal project where I'm making an adaptation of Lehi's dream, which can be found in 1 Nephi chapter 8. Although not yet complete, this involves filming my daughter and compositing that over a computer-generated scene. While making this, I have read Lehi's dream several times and referenced other depictions of this scene. I found myself asking new questions, like, what kind of terrain was there? Was there any vegetation? I realized that Lehi's dream likely looked very different from how I might have envisioned it in my youth. For example, it said the path for the iron rod was straight, not spelled S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, which means without bend, but S-T-R-A-I-T, which means narrow, constricted, rigorous, or difficult. So instead, this led me to create a rather steep path with several rocky bends and several bends and rocky steps. It also mentioned the great and spacious building, and it stood in the air. I appreciated how this could mean that without a foundation, it would eventually fall. What does, what does staying on the straight and narrow path look like to you? What can you do to strengthen your own foundation? Among the new things that I'm learning in this process, there is one that stood out to me the most. As I created the great and spacious building, I began to model, animate, and place those who occupied this building. These were those individuals who mocked the righteous pursuing the tree of life and caused many to fall away. When I learned this story in my youth, I regarded these people as adversarial and the enemy. But this time it felt different. I couldn't help but feel deep compassion for them. I loved them. Maybe because this time I was creating them myself, and our Heavenly Father allowed me a small glimpse of what He feels as our Savior, His love. My heart broke for them. I asked myself questions like, is it too late for them? Is the chasm that separates them from the tree too wide? My mind went to those who I know and love, who may have wandered from the, the, the rod of iron. Is it too late for them? You may also be struggling with this question. Fortunately, Jesus Christ answered this for us in Mark chapter 10 when his apostles questioned who can be saved and enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. 
The most significant blessing we see from Jesus Christ's atonement is the ability to return back to our Father's in Father in Heaven's presence, to live with Him again, or in other words, to return to Lehi's tree of life. Whether we strayed from the path or found ourselves in the great and spacious building, just as we may long to be back in our Father's warm embrace, He too desires the same. So much so, in fact, that He gave His only begotten Son in His ultimate sacrifice to do so. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, what is required of us? Despite the insurmountable act demonstrated by our brother, our Savior Jesus Christ, the only thing that is asked of us is that we turn back to him through repentance and love. Of course, that process of repentance will require some effort. Repentance may seem intimidating, but let's step back and think about it for a minute. Interestingly, interestingly, one of the Hebrew words for sin is chet. This is an archery reference, which means to miss the mark. With that context, perhaps we could simply, we could view repentant, repenting as simply dialing in our aim and trying again. To take this analogy further, by leaning on our Savior for help, we can rely on him as our coach or mentor to ensure that we may accurately hit that target. In other words, the atonement of Christ isn't used just to overcome sin retroactively, but as a strengthening power to combat, combat sin proactively. Also, let's consider our target. Toward what are we aiming? Do we need to be better at serving others? Do we need to be more patient or kind? Do we need to treat our minds and bodies better? Please remember that hitting the mark takes practice. As with archery, repentance may not be easy, but it is simple. Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. All that is required of us is the desire to change and turn back to our Savior and Father in repentance. Loving arms welcome you from all directions. Jesus Christ isn't just a way to find this peace, but is the way. As echoed in Psalms, chapter 23, verse 3, through Christ is the power we may restore our soul and lead us in paths of righteousness. Christ can deliver us from the darkness seen in Lehi's dream. Another question I had while creating this adaptation of Lehi's dream was how I should light it. His vision mainly occurred in darkness, but as a cinematographer, I understood that in order to express that darkness, light also needed to exist somewhere in the scene to give contrast, essentially making the dark areas appear darker. You may have seen this in movies, where while the hero may be stuck in a pitch black cave, there still seems to be a source of light coming from somewhere. This to me served as a reminder that while we might think we're alone, far from the light, the opposite is actually true. As in photography, the light is always nearby. Thanks to the atonement of Jesus Christ, we all have the opportunity to leave those dark areas and return back to his light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Also, speaking of light, those who work with it Measure it in terms of Kelvin or color temperature. 
without getting too far in the weeds on this, basically the light that comes from the sun and moon is much cooler or bluer than traditional artificial light that comes from man. Fires, candles, and incandescent light bulbs burn much warmer or more orange. This would explain why when you look out from your window, every, everything appears bluer. And when you look toward a house from the outside, it appears warmer. The interesting thing is that neither light is actually white. Our minds make up the difference by trying to normalize our environment. In other words, that light above you right now only appears white because you have been around it long enough. In this adaptation of Lehi's dream, each group of individuals is among a different color temperature. The amber tungsten light that burns from within the, the great and spacious building certainly appears white to those who occupy it. Just as their light appears white to them, so might ours to each and every one of us. We each have our own trials and pains. Let us not be too quick in judging others. As God intended, we are all different from one another. But even though we may look different, act different, and feel different than those around us, we are still, every one of us, built in the image of our Creator. I'm very grateful for last week's devotional address, where Brother Gene Clements also talked about the light of Christ and how it may be different in each of our, in each of our lives. What we do with the light of Christ in our lives will be as different as the colors of a sunrise or a sunset. This light does not grow brighter with cosmetics, expensive clothes, or fancy cars. Instead, it increases with Christ-like acts. I believe that is why the light of Christ is given to every person on earth. As we act on a feeling or impression to help others in small ways, doing it over and over again becomes a part of our daily lives. Examples include taking an extra few minutes to help a friend, being kind to someone less fortunate, speaking a soft word to someone who is stressed or angry, or giving up something that we want in order to make someone else's day more joyful, comfortable, or happy. I also appreciated Elder Gregory A. Schweitzer's conference talk, which was titled, Develop Good Judgment and Not Judging Others. He said, We may often find ourselves making quick judgments about people, which can change or redefine our relationships with them. Often, incorrect judgments are made because of limited information or because we do not see beyond that which is immediately in front of us. Good judgment is needed not only in understanding people, but also in facing decisions that often lead us to or away from our Heavenly Father. I was happy to see the comments made in this week's devotional discussion board. Bridget Jensen said, I often catch myself doing, saying, or thinking things I shouldn't, but I know my purpose and who I want to be. I'm thankful to be on this earth and to have Heavenly Father be there as my mentor. And Mitch Nelson said, I have come to learn that not only will the Lord not let me down, He cannot let me down. When I remember that I can have absolute trust and faith in Him, then there is nothing in life that is too hard or that I am unable to bear. The Lord has been my light by always being able to help me. Even, even when I thought there was no way he could. I can have perfect trust that everything will always work out, not because I am enough, but because he is. And with his perfect, perfect help, I cannot fail. The Lord is my light because he is the light." Close quote. Allowing the Lord to be our light allows us to better understand our Heavenly Father's will. 
even during those times when things seem the darkest. It helps us know others, to love and serve them. It gives us the strength to overcome challenges and helps us as we, as we repent when we miss the mark. I invite you to consider ways you can make the Lord your light. And if you find yourself straying from the iron rod or even locked in that great and spacious building, please remember that with God, all things are possible. This I know in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.